This week's podcast proudly brought to you by Kent Cartridge. See, I made the mistake of buying the cheapest shot shells I could find when I first started duck hunting, and I would literally I'd watch feathers fly off of birds as they gave me a middle finger and flew off unscathed. That's when I switched over to Kent, and I was bartending and waiting tables at the time in college, and money was tight, but Kent offered me a great product at a fair price, and I've never looked back. Of course, now we have uh, Fast Steel 2.0. They just released Fast Steel Plus for this upcoming season, and with Dove season on the horizon, we've got Steel Dove, and then Teal Steel for early teal season. Whatever your shotgunning needs are for this fall, Kent has you covered. You can find all of their products at kentcartridge.com. This week's show brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, an organization that I've been plugged into for, gosh, over 15 years now. From the Alaskan wilderness to the Atlantic Flyway, across America's Great Plains, and down the Mississippi Delta, Ducks Unlimited has been leading the way in wetlands conservation since 1937. The DU family has ensured the protection of over 16 million acres of waterfowl habitat. Think about that. So, come join us. You too can carry on DU's conservation legacy. Visit ducks.org to find your local event and join our volunteer team. Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetlands conservation. I pull over when I'm supposed to Crawl in the back and go to bed But sleep out here so hard to find I can't get you out of my head I've got a pill for every problem But I've got too many Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith welcoming everybody into episode 697 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here today. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. Uh, so thanks for dropping by. Uh, we have got a great show lined up for you today, and I'll tell you all about it in just a second. But first of all, man, that cold front last week, I don't know if y'all noticed or if it even occurred in your neck of the woods, but my goodness, the amount of dove that showed up with that first cold front of the year in Texas. The same place that I hammered them the first week of the season in Collin County, uh, I drove by just on the way home on Friday afternoon, and it was covered up again. So, uh, yeah, I went and grabbed the dog, drove straight back <laughs> to the field, and we only got four that afternoon, but literally we had 20 minutes of legal shooting time left. Went back there the next morning and was in and out of there in under an hour, 15 bird limit. JoJo and I uh, got back home and we were off to Henry's soccer game by 9 a.m. And not only did that cold front bring a lot of migratory uh, morning doves south with it, but my favorite thing about this past weekend and, and that hunt was uh, I walked outside about 5.30 a.m. Immediately turned around and walked back inside and grabbed a sweatshirt. The first time. And since God knows when that it's uh, been sweatshirt or, or jacket weather in North Texas. It felt amazing. Um, but, you know, usually this time of year I've got my butt planted in a pop-up or a tree stand. And I'm chasing whitetail. But I haven't seen anything. And in the Oklahoma lease, the smaller one, the 200 acres is the place where I primarily am bow hunting these days and there just hasn't been anything on camera that has really piqued my interest so maybe something will pop up uh there is 
a drop time buck on the West Texas place, but it's, I don't know, we're debating whether he's three and a half or four and a half. And it's hard to pass up if, if you're talking about the average age of a, of a low fence whitetail deer that gets shot in Texas. You might be surprised. It's two and a half years old. So four and a half, and with the drop, sporting double drop tines, little drop tines, but uh, unmistakable droppers nonetheless, that deer's going to get shot by somebody. <laughs> so you hate to be that guy, but people get an itchy trigger finger when they see a drop tine. And I, I've experienced it firsthand. We uh, we kindly asked the dude to leave off of a previous lease I was on because he let his daughter shoot a double dropper that was two and a half years old that was on the do not shoot list. Everybody knew this buck that we had so many pictures of it opening weekend. And and he was, I think the reason why we kicked him off essentially was no remorse whatsoever. People make mistakes, but there's no denying that he knew what he was looking at from 100 yards away. I mean, the thing had two drop tines. And uh, it, it, to his daughter, we were very congrat, you know, congratulatory. Is that a word? Congratulatory? Yeah, I think it is. Um, it was her first year. We, you know, we put on a good front. But at the end of the day, he not only offered zero remorse, but he tried to hide it. Yeah, most leases have a group text going, and when something gets shot, uh, everybody is like, hey, high five, good job. Uh, we can't wait to get back to camp to see it. Well, there was no text sent that day, uh, just crickets, although we all heard the gunshot. And, yeah, maybe uh, if, you, if you said sorry, I screwed up, it'd be a little bit of a different story, but his attitude was, screw it. And then we were like, okay, well, screw you. So he wasn't, uh, he didn't come back <laughs> the next season. But yeah, if you can carry bucks to five and a half, six and a half, you will be rewarded. That's just not always realistic. Um, we'll see what happens with this guy. But uh, but yeah, hopefully something pops up on the uh, the Oki lease because I haven't. And, and here's the other reason why. You could say, well, why don't you just go sit there and see what happens? Well, it's, as an out-of-stater, it's 300 bucks to hunt archery they give you a great discount though if you want to hunt the 10-day muzzleloader season it's 300 bucks and then if you want to rifle hunt as a non-resident guess what smoking hot deal 300 bucks so for me to drive 45 minutes to uh the uh, oklahoma lease if i want to hunt all the seasons is 900 dollars. yeah pretty expensive um anyway i like texas isn't that greedy we're pretty generous i think if you want to come here and hunt uh, rifle season, you can do it for like $150. It's it's nothing. And and you can also, that's a season-long thing. You can bow hunt too, whatever. But uh, Oklahoma, yeah, they really stick it to the non-residents. Um, what are we doing today? Let me tell you. We've got a lot to get into. So pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that black rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And to get things going, we'll head west to New Mexico for an archery elk tail for the ages. New state record. This bull, oh my God, this thing is massive. Eight by eight that scored over 430 inches. Yes, uh, Ridge Crum will join us. He is the hunter who was fortunate enough to uh, run a broadhead through that massive bull. Uh, we'll hear about the three-year history he had with this particular elk and how that hunt 
played out. And then the uh, always interesting dynamics of hunting private land that butts up next to public. How do you tackle that situation? Because you don't want to run the elk off your place, right? Um, And then maybe the counter to that is you're relying on the public land guys to push the elk onto your place. So we'll get into all of that with Ridge coming up in just a little bit. Uh, And then we'll check in with the Texas Farm Bureau's Gary Joyner and Russell Boyning. Uh, If you're not aware, Proposition 1 is coming up on the November ballot. That's right. And uh, much like the right to hunt amendment that Texas passed a few years back, uh, this is, Proposition 1 is what it's called, but it essentially is the right to farm and ranch. And why is that important and how does it tie into hunting and conservation? Uh, We'll get into all of that good stuff with Gary and Russell coming up here at the bottom of the hour. That's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. I'm certainly excited about it. Uh, Let's do a quick giveaway. I have got uh, a Vortex prize pack for you today. I'm actually holding, I'm drinking coffee. I'm drinking Black Rifle out of it right now, but a Vortex uh, coffee mug. It's one of those insulated tumbler type things. And uh, the new Vortex cold weather hoodie. And we'll throw in uh, Vortex cap as well. So a uh, prize pack from Vortex coming at you today. Just email Vortex, that's Vortex, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com and you are entered into this week's giveaway. Coming up next, an archery elk tale that you're not going to want to miss right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Close the Rio, grows my rose along the Rio, waiting by the silver Rio Grande. If you're looking for a new gun safe, you need to check out the Performance Firearm Storage Solutions from Securit. Unlike traditional safes, Securit products are designed to perform for you. They're lightweight, so you can discreetly store them in any room in the house, and the interior is completely customizable to fit your guns and gear. I would know, I've got four of them. Their fast access storage system keeps my guns and optics organized so they never touch each other or get damaged, and I'm never more than an arm's length away from a firearm. The best part, they're always running great sales. Head over to securitgunstorage.com backslash cable to see their latest promotion, and you can thank me later. Hi, this is Fred Eichler with Easton Bowhunting and Predator Nation. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. September in the Rockies, the bull elk bugles ring. Their sounds fill the canyons just like they're trying to sing. Fall winds blow in winter and the snow's falling deep. It's All right, Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here today. This segment of the presentation is brought to you by the Mossberg MC2SC Concealed Carry Pistola. Comes in 9mm, and you can get it in uh, single or double stack. That's right. Uh, I like the double stack oh, for obvious reasons. Who wouldn't want to have more capacity when given the option? Uh, it's compatible with any Glock magazine as well, so that that's pretty cool. Uh, and you can find the MC2SC right there at Mossberg.com. Okay, uh, well, let's bring on our first guest today, joining us from, I believe, Tennessee. It is my pleasure to welcome Bowhunter Ridge Crum to the show. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, so uh, first of all, Ridge is a pretty unique name. Where did that come from? Man, 
<laughs> I don't even want to tell you on here. My, uh... well, I mean, you're an elk hunter, so I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's uh, that fits the bill because you know how much time we spend walking those damn ridges. Exactly. Yeah, I, I like to tell people, you know, it's ridge like a mountain ridge, but my mom actually got it off of a soap opera. Oh, uh, <laughs> a, guy, a guy on the bold and the beautiful was named Ridge. So, ah, uh, right okay. on. Yeah, right on. Yeah, I mean, nobody has the name Cable, right? But uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, from a, a late '70s uh, western, like it's one of those spaghetti westerns. It wasn't a good movie. I uh, I bought it off eBay when I was in college and finally watched it, and I was like, "Dad, this movie sucked, man." <laughs> it's like, "Yeah, but it's a cool name, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll give you that." Um, well, I can yeah. say I, I have still not watched um, the Bold and the Beautiful. So yeah, I don't think you will either. <laughs> Uh, so where are you joining us from? Uh, Lakeland, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. And is that where you're from originally? Yep, it's where I'm originally from. My whole family's from here. So, But you spent some time in Texas. You told me off the air you went to A&M. Yep, yep, went to A&M. So I lived there from 2016 to 2018, and or 2019, I guess, and then moved mm-hmm. back here when I was done. Okay. And what do you what do you do for a living? I work in my family's company. We manufacture and distribute wedding dresses and prom dresses and men's formal wear. So okay. not exactly what you would expect from, you know, <laughs> people, lifelong hunters, you know, but uh-huh. long time. So, so right on. So explain your connection with my second favorite state to hunt, um, or at the very least the place that I've spent the most time hunting other than my home state of Texas. Of course, I'm talking about the land of enchantment. Yep. Um, what is your connection there? Yeah. So, uh, my family is also in the horse business. We raise and breed cutting horses, and that's where my sister lives in Weatherford, Texas, and um, we have a ranch there. And several years back, I think I was I was young enough to where I was a youth hunter for the state of New Mexico, and we had a guy that was out there. Um, his name's Travis Keeney that traded a horse for an elk tag, and it happened to be a youth tag. And um, so me and my dad went and hunted out there after we traded the horse and fell in love with it and we ended up buying a ranch out there uh-huh oh cool right that's that's awesome man i love new mexico i think i've been lucky enough to draw four tags and done two uh i then i've bought a landowner tag one time and then i did a, a semi-guided hunt once i think i've hunted there elk hunted there six times and then drawn a couple mule deer tags as well yeah so i spent a lot of time there and then backpacking fly fishing grouse hunting i mean um I was there late August for mm-hmm. a fly fishing trip and then went back uh, for 10 days and hunted uh, up around Chama yeah. the, the third week of archery. Right. Absolutely love hunting New Mexico. Um, have you hunted anything besides elk? Have you done mule deer there? Oh, never uh, never done it. We've always, the, besides the time that I hunted on Travis's property, we've always hunted on ours. And uh, we have actually a growing herd of mule deer. They're very few and far between, um, so we don't hunt them yet, you know. But what about pronghorn? Never hunted a pronghorn. I've had the plenty of opportunities, you know, to, to kill them just being out there, but uh, I've never hunted them personally. So you, they, they are on your property, though? Oh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of them. Yeah, so we're huh. our property is like, like the tail end of the St. Augustine Plains. Uh-huh. So there's a ton of pronghorn. So like... Um, what logistically I was in 51 and yeah, for uh, you're in 17, 17. Okay. Right on. Right on. Um, have you thought about 
and this is just because of what's going on in Colorado. And uh, it makes me concerned for New Mexico because, yeah. you know, they're dumping these wolves in Colorado. Oh, yeah. It's a terrible decision, but they let, you know, all the morons in Boulder and, and Denver have smoked themselves retarded. Uh, and I have nothing against marijuana. Like, smoke it if you want to. I could care less. But clearly, there's this, you know, there's this connection. You look at California. Okay, well, these places where marijuana is extremely prevalent and people flock to these states for that lifestyle – uh, they tend to lean way left on wildlife management. And so you let the general population of Colorado vote on a ballot initiative to reintroduce wolves. Okay, well, that's Colorado. Well, guess whose guess who's neighbor they are? New Mexico. What happens when these wolves start coming into New Mexico? And New Mexico is a very blue state, too. <laughs> they just legalize weed also. I saw a bunch of dispensaries when I was driving through. Didn't stop at one. My buddy did. Um, but... uh yeah, I just wonder what they're going to do as far as, well, would they have, and I don't even know if federally they'd be allowed to, but like a shoot on site policy or, yeah, I think, I tend to believe New Mexico will be like, oh, yeah, 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 we'll have wolves too, you know? like, uh, And they've already got them. I mean, I have personally been within 10 yards of them on our ranch. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's, a, that's a different species. That's yeah, the wolves, I think yeah. is what which they're yeah. collared. I've seen collared ones out there, but yeah, these new wolves, I mean, you know, they're going to make their way over there. So, uh-huh. yeah. I wonder what the landscape will look like in 20 years when we're talking about our, our sons are the ones, you know, that we're, we're yeah. talking about killing big bulls. And, yeah. um, I don't know. I don't think it's a good thing. I'm very, very uh, concerned about that. Um, because New Mexicans didn't ask for these and any more than 49% of Coloradans did, but here they come. So, um, are you primarily a bow hunter? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, me and my dad, we bow hunt up in Illinois. Um, we've been bow hunting up there for uh, 12 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the state of Illinois, I think we just now actually got a single shot rifle season. Uh, mm-hmm. It has to be a certain cartridge. I haven't looked into it too much just because I, I only like to bow hunt. So uh-huh. I've muzzleloaded a uh, muzzleloader hunted in illinois a couple times pike county yep shot uh shot a real nice eight point there one of the on one of the trips yeah and there's a lot of deer and you were there do what where did you hunt when you were there it was with uh golden triangle white tails yeah i'm not not familiar with them our properties in pike county um but we were close to hadley creek outfitters okay yeah i feel like though Pike County, historically, I mean, it's an amazing place. But I feel like a lot of these outfitters have, you know, they've been running and gunning so long that, especially on their properties, like you're not going to see generally a mature buck. Yeah. You know, when somebody saves up for years, you know, they're, or, you know, has been trying to come and hunt somewhere for years, they're just, they're going to shoot a smaller, younger deer. I mean, I mean, you can't blame them, you know. Mm these guys that hunt in different places where they've never seen a deer that's 140 inches, they're going to shoot a 140. Yeah, for, like, for sure. <laughs> they're going to love it. And it's awesome. Like, you know, you got to be happy for them, but it, you know, for the population of the deer there, you know, it hurts them. Um, okay. So you're a big whitetail hunter as well. Have you taken some nice bulls previously with your bow? No, it's my first one. The first bull you've ever killed with your bow. Yeah, first uh, first bull with a bow. I've shot um, two with a rifle and now one with a bow. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I didn't realize that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so your place butts up next to public land? Yep. Yep. So, you know, New Mexico has the deeded acres and then the state land that's on the front side of our property. And then the very back side of our property where I killed that bull is Cibola National Forest. All right. And, and this just to kind of put this into perspective, how big is your property? Yeah, it's right at 40,000 acres. Okay. I don't know. I have a weird thought. I have a weird thought process on, on public and private land and elk hunting because I've done a couple of guided hunts and didn't really care for them. And it wasn't because the hunting was bad. It was because the hunting ended at 9 a.m. every day and yeah. then picked back up at 5 p.m. And, and I'm like, well, what are we doing? The elk that I've killed on public land have been at noon. Right. So find a bull that's in his bed and get him fired up and go in there and kill him. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we don't want to push the elk onto the public. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I understand, but yeah. I don't like it. What is your philosophy? I mean, 40,000 acres is a big, big uh, tract of land. Yeah. But uh, do you actually go in there and call or are you concerned about pushing the elk or what do you do? And we do both. Actually, the state hunters are our best friends on the front side of our property because they inevitably end up blowing all the elk into our private. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, we do non-guided. I mean, we have our friends from New Mexico that come out there and hunt with us. But I mean, we do the same thing anybody else would do. You know, we walk in, we glass, we, you know, we call everything. So mm-hmm. buddy that was with us on that trip, that's what we did. We stalked up on a bull and we um, called him and he actually got out of his bed and he snuck up within, I think he was 15 yards of him and shot him. Yeah. So, that's yeah. the best dude. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, it is weird though. The dynamics between public and private and how do you want to hunt them? And if, and if it's a smaller place, you know, some of the places we hunted were, you know, drive there and then get out and it's, you find out it's a 600 acre yeah. little, little ranch. Well, I mean, that's a nice piece of property, but not very big for when you're talking about an elk herd. Um, but um, anyway, let's talk about a little bit about the history of, of this particular bull that you shot. When did you first become aware of this animal? Uh, two years ago was the first time I saw him. Uh-huh. Um, and I had him... I had him at 40 yards two years ago and couldn't get a shot on him because there was a cow like five steps off my side. Hmm. I was hunting out of a box blind. I was hunting over water just because of the time of year. It was just, you know, yeah, what we were doing. And, um, and yeah, I, I got to watch him walk away from me and then got to watch him again at 250 yards, that same hunt for a while, um, just grazing right out in the open, just by himself. Huh. And, watched him walk off into the trees so so that's obviously you're hunting water that's early september he doesn't have cows with him uh and did you ever get any trail camera images of this of this so two years ago we had had a trail cam pick of him um i think we had like two or three maybe but it was a side profile and that's how i can i can tell it's the same bull because he has that same split right there on the back on the left side of his horns Uh a couple inches bigger than it was two years ago but so he was a monster then. Yeah, he was he was four hundred then. I mean, he was a monster. Yeah. Seeing him in person and being like, oh, you know, <laughs> hurt to watch him walk away. But uh it was yeah. to see him though, regardless. So for sure, for sure. And then twenty twenty two, he Maybe. was MIA. 
There was water. The water situation was so weird on the ranch. I think that it had rained so much up top. And there was a couple other factors, you know, with the guy that was managing our ranch at the time. Um, big lawsuit issues with him right now, you know, because mm -hmm. he's selling hunts without us knowing. So oh, wow. there was a lot of pressure on our ranch that we didn't know about. And the elk just weren't there. So... 40,000 acres, and this guy pushed them all back onto the public. Yeah, man, I, I, I don't even want to go into it. This guy was <laughs> insane. So, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So this bull was back in the uh, the National Forest. Yep. So actually, and two years ago when I'd seen him, like, a little, like right after I had um, seen him, you know, grazing out there in the meadow, I don't know how many days afterward, but a guy that we're friends with over there actually glassed him from the mountain and watched him go back up into the Cibola. Okay. Watched him go from our property and just cross right back up in the mountain. Hmm. So he had to have some kind of hole up there that he was living in that he was hidden away from all the hunters up there, you know. I'm predicting it's a a saddle on a north-facing slope where probably if it's a big bull like that, you know, he's got a funnel where whether the wind's blowing up or down or wherever it's going to swirl and it's going to go right to him. Imagine that bull lives somewhere similar. The big ones always tend to. Yep. All right. So you see him in 2021 in person. Uh, he's completely gone. Ghost you in 2022, maybe because of your a-hole uh, ranch manager selling hunts behind your back. Uh, probably had a lot to do with it, but uh, he's gone. But the story picks back up this fall, and uh, that's where we're going to pick back up after the break. That segment brought to you by the Stealth Cam Deceptor. If you're looking for a bad to the bone wireless cellular camera uh, this thing really shines with the no glow nighttime photos the images are crystal clear and uh, absolutely love mine i have a couple of them put out across the two leases uh, but you can pick one up at stealthcam.com they also have them at tractor supply data plans are as little as five bucks a month check it out uh, we'll be right back on sci's lone star outdoor show Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use eForms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. That's our very own Corey Morrow, Drinking Alone, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith, and I'm not drinking alone. I'm not drinking. It is sober October. Some of y'all on social media were like, why are you doing that to yourself? It's hunting season. And uh, yeah, it, well, for me, number one, uh, hunting season never really ends. You're, every month in 
some hunting camp somewhere drinking more often than not. Uh, but I was like, you know what? It's just time to reset, recalibrate, maybe lose a little weight. Uh, I weighed 212 at the start of the month down to 207 now and haven't changed my diet. And because of the uh, injections I got in my back, I have been stretching and lifting weights, but no cardio. So five pounds already. That's uh, pretty good. Uh, yeah. So just a little reset. I don't know if there is an ideal month. Dry January, you know, some folks do that. Maybe some of you have been sober for years. Uh, good for you, by the way. Corey, who sat in this studio and, and talked about his demons with alcohol, he's been sober for a long time and uh, really turned his life around. He was on a dark path of destruction. Um, but uh, maybe some of you all have made that choice in your lifetime, and it's been the best decision you've ever made. I certainly have friends that uh, have have walked that path, uh, no doubt about it. But, uh, yeah. I'm already thinking about what I'm going to have. And it will be Halloween. We're going to quit one day earlier because everyone's like, oh, we're taking the kids trick-or-treating. No, no, come on. There's booze in that Yeti cup. We all know it. And I'm thinking maybe a nice Oktoberfest or a, you know, some kind of German Marzen. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, still got a couple weeks to go. Maybe you're doing the same thing. Uh, maybe you've done it in the past. But uh, anyway, for me, time for a little reset. Um, this segment of the show brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants and my good friends over at Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Uh, with that being said, let's uh, pick it back up with our guest today, Bowhunter Ridgecrumb, because we've got a once-in-many-lifetimes bull elk that is about to take a dirt nap. Okay, Ridge, so we got a little bit of the history between you and this bull. You saw him in 2021 at 40 yards, no shot. Uh, you didn't see him at all last year. He ghosted you. Did it, did you hear of anyone seeing him or did, I mean if he would have been shot you'd have probably heard about yeah right? you would have heard about it um I didn't hear of anyone seeing him I mean yeah I, I didn't hear of anything I didn't even elk hunt that year I, we didn't even go out there just because you know we there was no bulls on the property so <laughs> right <laughs> uh that's terrible but it just goes to show you you can run them off of the uh yeah. maybe there is something to those outfitters that are like well we don't want to I don't want to push them back onto the public, but I don't know. I mean, even this year when we were out there, you know, the, uh, there just was not near as many cows that were on our property that we normally see, you know, mm -hmm. um, up on the South side of the ranch, which is the front part of it from the road, like that's butts up to the public. I mean, we normally can go up there and glass and just see just elk just scattered all throughout there. It's kind of like a rolling Hills situation. And, and I bet we saw, 10 or 12 elk there the whole time we were there, which is very non-characteristic for that part of the ranch. Mm -hmm. so. so how far back into the property were you hunting uh, when you actually saw the bull this time? Uh, he was from the road. It, I would have to show you. It'd be easier to show you on Onyx, but he was probably two or three miles from our headquarters. But I mean, it was at the far back side of the ranch. So it's probably. So you think he was living in there? I think he's living in the Cibola and then he would come down for the cows, you know, yeah. that yeah. were right in that area. And there's, there's just one part that is like right at our fence line that is just like thick, thick, thick. And I think that he was living up in there and just uh -huh. going back and forth to water. Okay. So obviously he showed back up on camera. Yeah. We had trail cam pics of him this year, um, on the water that I killed him on. And he always had a group of 10 or 12 cows with him. He never left that group. 
And what what time of the month of September was this? Uh, we got I, – I'd have to look at my deal, but I, mean, I killed him on the 21st. So, but Man, he had, we had pictures of with those, that group of cows. I mean, a couple weeks before that. So, mm-hmm. that's when I was there. And the, the big bulls all had cows with them yeah. by then. Um, satellite bulls were pretty responsive to calling. And, and the big bulls would respond. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there was one bull that we messed with three or four different times. And he'd bugle back at you. But the bugle meant time to leave. And he okay. was just rounding up the cows and then, bye. So, he had figured us out, like, uh, whether he'd seen us or or – you know, some of these bulls, they don't want to fight. If you've got 10 cows with you, they want to get away from the competition. Right. And whether they knew we were people or another bull, the, you know, the the result was the same. He was bouncing and taking his ladies with him. Um, so you got trail camera pictures of him. I'm sure that was like freaking Christmas day seeing those. Yeah. And we thought he was an eight by seven of the trail cam pics. We couldn't tell. Um, you know, so that was, that was an awesome, shock when we walked up on him you know to see he was an eight by eight uh, yeah and we knew he was i mean saw the pictures of him was like good gosh like what are the chances you know that he's back yeah yeah so, uh, that's freaking awesome. a creature habit you know uh-huh yeah um so walk us through how you decided to to hunt this bull and if you i don't know if you had to wait for the a particular day where the conditions were perfect or if you sat 15 times or I have no idea, but uh, like to hear how that all played out. Yeah, so obviously I'd use the same tactic that we would use in you know in Illinois. And if we have trail cam picks of a buck, then we need to go sit that spot. You know, the wind being mm-hmm. right, sit that spot, and he's going to cross by there at some point. You know, his pattern is going to make him cross back by there. So that's what I did. Early mornings, we would go out and glass on separate different parts of the property and try and stalk them. And we got pretty close to a few bulls. Um, early on but were you willing to burn your tag on some on a different bull or were you only i was going to the very first afternoon yeah there was a uh i sat in that it was a a box blind on the water and the bull i mean this is like famous for that area this um this particular blind just like for big bulls being killed off of it and for for years you know and um the first evening we were getting in the stand at 1 2 o'clock and sitting there the whole rest of the day. And, um, yeah, the first evening I had a group of cows come in and then I just started having bulls just assembly lining out of the, the forest. (laughs) It was like, I I looked at my binoculars one time and there was this six by six that his, his eye guards just swooped way down and came straight up and just solid white tips all the way down. And I grabbed my bow. I was like, I know that big one somewhere in here, but that bull is way too big to just, you know, to let him slide if he comes in. And uh, he ended up getting within like 70 yards or something. And then one of these, this little like five by five got real froggy with them and started running around. And they end up pushing these cows out and just chasing each other around in this meadow. And then they disappeared. So, uh. but yeah, I was totally about to blow my tag on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't consider it blowing his tag. I'd be. I would be just as happy if I'd killed that bull. He was a monster. But. Yeah. So, how many times did you did you sit that water hole? Uh, Three days. You- killed him on the third day. Second day, um, no elk. It rained almost the entire time that I was in there, and then in that like right before the sun was setting, it quit raining, 
and there was a double rainbow that was a full rainbow right in front of the blind. It looked like it was touching down 200 yards in front of me. Mm. And I just like forgot about elk hunting at that point in time. It was like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> so, awesome. yeah. And then the third day you got back in there early afternoon. Yep. Third day, same deal. Um, walked in there. When uh, was the last time he was at the water hole? Oh, it had been, we hadn't seen him there as far. We quit going back there after we got the pictures of him just to like quit the human presence. Yeah. Um, but the last, I think it had been like a week and a half or two weeks, but I mean, he could have been in there. We just didn't know. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, walk us through that, that hunt, uh, yes. September 21st. Yeah. It was the same deal. Just sitting in there. Um, it was hot. Uh, in the stand, you know, cause there's like a dark green stand, the sun just beating down on it. Um, the spot that I was hunting was a water hole. And so there's a windmill, so I could always check the wind, you know, any way that windmill's turning, it was, you know, it was good. And it was blowing straight this way, which is the best wind I could have had for that blind. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember, I can't remember what time it was. It was around six, six fifteen. I heard a bugle like way off. Couldn't tell what, where it was coming from. And I texted my buddy that was hunting. He was hunting probably about a mile and a half from me. I was like, do you just hear that? You know, cause I thought it had came from that direction. And he said, no. And then a few minutes later I heard it again and it was closer. And then I heard it again and it was closer. And then that next time I heard it, I was like, this bull is like gotta be super close to me. So I start looking around and I like lean forward and there's a cow. I didn't realize she was in there, but there was a cow sitting like right at the windmill. And the windmill is probably 50 yards from me. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, well, this bull has got to be in here because he's got to be with this cow. And I looked through the way the windows work. Their windows are about like a foot tall. And there, it's a bow hunting stand. So there's three windows. It's like a flat wall and then two angled ones. It's called a shadow mm-hmm. hunter if you're familiar with those. But I had one of the windows cracked just a, like a very little bit just to keep all the light behind me, you know, dark. Yeah. And I looked through there and I heard that bugle again. And I was like, this bull's a hundred yards from me. And I don't just couldn't tell where he was. And I look up and I see that group of 10 or 12 cows and there was a bull with them. And I pulled my binoculars up. And when I did, I, everything looks bigger in the binoculars, you know, but I saw him and they were just walking together, you know, with this whole group of cows and I dropped my binoculars on my chest because I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's get it together. You know, it was like, this is about to happen. I was like, I have one chance at this. If you do anything to blow one of these cows out or, you know, they don't come in here, you will never get another chance on this bull. Yeah. No one ever will. So I just, I grabbed my bow and set it on my knee and the cows, I mean, it was, it felt like seconds. I don't know how long it actually was, but they were all in there at one time and he was standing behind them, you know, cause he had herded them in there. And then he gets within 40 something yards, but there's all these cows standing in front of him. And so I went ahead and drew back in the corner of the blind and just set my cam on my knee and just kind of like bent my front arm elbow just because I knew I was going to be holding it for a second. Yeah. I think I ended up holding it for two minutes, somewhere around there, full draw, just waiting on him. And um, he ends up finally nudging a cow that was standing in front of him. There's one cow left standing in front of him, just sitting there. And he finally ends up kind of nudging her out of the way with his nose and got quartered to me and 41 and a half yards, let it go. Quartering towards you. 
Yeah, he was he was broadside, but he was slightly quartered towards me. Okay, right on. And you were pretty confident as soon as you let the arrow fly? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I let it fly and saw it hit him, and blood immediately started pouring out. I was like, oh, that was got to be a solid hit, you know, and he uh – -huh took off running and when he did the arrow i didn't know it at the time but the arrow had fallen out but it actually had broken in half um it had actually it penetrated all the way through but the arrow didn't come out the other side it actually just kind of retracted back in a little bit oh wow it had broken and i saw that luminox shining on the ground you know uh, and then and he, did ran, he ran 80 yards and did that thing where they kind of bow up when he was standing there his cows didn't leave. They kind of spooked for a second, but then they came back into the water. And so he stood there and turned around and immediately faced them. And then he started staggering a little bit and he bedded down and he had his head up and he just kept like, you know, moving his head. And I, I knew it had been a solid hit because yeah. he had stopped and he ended up getting back up. And in this time, like, you know, when I was drawn back and shooting, I was laser focused. My heart was pounding like crazy, but I was laser focused. And then the second I let the arrow go, my hands are just like, I can't control myself, you know, I'm uh -huh. out hyperventilating, like cussing, like, <laughs> you know, just, it, it was nuts. Um, and then he ends up bedding down and then he stood back up and I was like, Oh God, he's trying to I was like, if I lose sight of this bull, if he walks over the side of this hill, I'm going to lose my mind, you know? Uh -huh. And uh, he ends up turning around, and I can see where I hit him at that point in time. And when he goes to sit back down and bed back down, like a pint of blood just dumped out of his side. And I was like, oh, he's done. Like, I, I quit worrying after that, you know? Yeah. And he laid down again and ended up expiring a little bit later, you know, a few minutes later. So, uh -huh. Oh, man, that's so awesome. I've oh, just got awesome. to like watch him through the binoculars, you know, just laying there with his head down. And I got some pictures, like terrible pictures with my phone. He was over a hundred yards away at that point in time. So yeah, I was calling my dad and he didn't, he wasn't hunting, but I was calling my dad and he had gone to town, which is Magdalena. And he didn't answer the first two or three times I called him. And then he texts me and says elk question mark. And I was like, I've been trying to call you. you know? <laughs> So I call him back and I was like, I just shot that bull. He's like, oh my God, I'm on the way. And, you know, he, I didn't get out of the stand until they got there. And it was after dark. That I shot the bull at 645 and they didn't get there until after 730, 745. So that was or eight o'clock probably. So that was grueling, you know. Oh, yeah. Look at this thing. Uh huh. But so we got to walk up on them together, me and my dad did. And it was, uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, we all were just standing there with our, our jaws hanging down <laughs> bigger than what we thought he was, you know? So before you shot him, did you have any inkling that it could be a state record? No, no, never even crossed your mind. You're big. just like, that's a big ass elk. Yeah. We knew he was big and we knew he was 400 something. I, I predicted he was going to be like 420, mm -hmm. but, um, and some other, you know, people that we hunt with, they're, you know, we know up there, we're like, oh, yeah, that's a monster bull, you know, but we had no idea that he was going to be, you know, 436 and some change. Yeah. Well, so what was the previous state record? I think the previous archery record was 420 something. I, I don't exactly know. I can't remember. Yeah. So, and so you get this thing rough scored and it's like, oh my gosh, this yeah, is so we, possibly a new state record. 
Yeah. So a guy, the, actually, the guy that I killed my first elk with, the Travis Keeney, he came and measured it, and we measured it at four thirty three and some change, but we didn't have the right tape to actually measure him. Hmm. Then I took the bull over to Travis's place because that's where we actually caped him out and got the antlers off of him. And um, he rescored him with the proper gear and ended up being 436. So, so no, I mean, surpassed the state record by 10 inches. Yeah. So I, I feel like even with the drying period, you know, that's got to come up, that he's not going to lose that many inches, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's, you know, some guys chase records. This I think most most of the time when one gets broken though it's just uh, yeah we know there's a big bull or or we've never even seen this bull we just ran into him and you yeah. know yeah was there ever any any discourse between you and your dad about who was going to hunt him or was oh, no. he just like yeah now my dad has always been the type uh, my entire life we've been hunting together since I was I think eight years old and he has always been. You know, if we know there's the biggest deer or the biggest whatever it is, then he's like putting me in that position because he would, he has more joy in me killing these things than he does himself. You know, yeah. I know my son is ten, and so I don't, I wouldn't trust him. He's yeah. killed a couple. He's two for two, knock on wood, on uh, eight points. Yeah, but if there was a hundred and seventy inch deer, it's different. I don't, I don't think I'd be letting him shoot it. Well, I mean, you know, once he's a little bit older and has a lot more trigger time, I yeah. for sure would defer to him and let him have that experience. But, uh, God, could you imagine a 10-year-old shooting a, a Boone and Crockett deer and wounding it? Like, Oh, it'd be, it'd be, I'd be sick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I'm going to be selfish for a few more years. But, uh, no, I understand that for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how, I mean, I think that's how most dads are. So they'd rather have, they get more joy watching their, their kiddos have success. Yeah, especially sure. when it's something a passion that you guys share together right uh, very cool uh so are you getting this thing i mean a, i don't know a full body size elk would be a massive display or are you getting a shoulder mount no he's gonna be pedestal mounted oh uh -huh. yeah awesome. he's gonna be pedestal mounted for sure yeah but it's too cool yeah where i'm gonna put him but you know i'll uh i'll sell some furniture to <laughs> <laughs> right on Man, well, what a cool experience. Um, like I said, I have a lot of history with uh, with New Mexico. And to see, to see I think it was, uh, maybe it was Outdoor Life. Was it Outdoor Life or Field and Stream that first reached out to you? I think the first one, they both reached out at similar times. Um, but I think that my first interview was with uh, Field and Stream. Uh -huh. Okay, that's probably where I saw they it. Were, they were right same time though so mm -hmm. well i don't know how you're gonna top that man that's uh i don't plan on it <laughs> yeah yeah a hell yeah. of a deal I, I i should have looked it up i don't know when the previous non-typical archery record um was shot but these things aren't broken you know every year so it'd be interesting I'm, i'll probably go back in and, and look that up and add a little notation here but uh yeah, man, a 430 plus inch bull is uh, a thing dreams are made of for sure. I, I still am riding the high, of course. And, um, you know, it's still, I can't believe it every mm -hmm. day. You know? Yeah. So what is, uh, what is rough out? Uh, rough out is, uh, is a outerwear clothing brand that my family's also starting. Um, 
so we do wedding dresses, like I said, but my passion obviously is more outdoors and, um, yeah. look at your t-shirt here. Yeah. 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 So I love training, working out. So we're going to do training gear and then also do like outdoor lifestyle gear. It's not necessarily gotcha. a hunting brand, but it'll be stuff like that. So. All right. Well, cool stuff, Ridge. I appreciate the time today, man. Congrats again on the elk and, uh, yeah. Uh, where can folks follow? I know you're on Instagram. Where can folks uh, follow you there? Yeah, uh, Ridge Crumb is my Instagram handle, just Ridge underscore Crumb. So uh, we'll look forward to some Illinois whitetail action. Yep. I just, man, I got, a, I got a big one I've been chasing for. Um, he showed up last year. He's an eight point that is just absolute monster, and he turned into a nine point this year. So I'm going to be trying to get him. But I think the eight point – is underrated everybody wants and, and you know and certainly in pike county you can get these giant non-typicals um but like 150 inch eight point is i think like the holy grail that's that's the most beautiful looking whitetail deer that exists i agree well hope you get a man thanks again for the time today absolutely so there he goes archery elk hunter rich crumb and uh, i did go back in guys and look at the uh, all-time record books for new mexico if Ridge's bull really ends up scoring 436 and change, not only will it be the new non-typical archery elk, it will be the biggest elk ever killed in New Mexico. The previous record, 434 and 3 eighths, killed by Lawrence Sanchez with a rifle back in 1962. We've got a 430 and 2 eighths in, in 98, a 417 and number 3 in 92, 416 in 2001 uh, and a 414 in 1974 around out the top five. So just to put into perspective how big this freaking thing actually is. Uh, it'll go top 20. It'll go top 20 biggest elk ever killed, period. Gun, rifle, you name it. Um, so pretty impressive animal to say the least. That segment of the show proudly brought to you by the Numath Pathfinder Pants. Uh, this past week, I was dove hunting. Uh, Wednesday night, did an all-nighter thermal hog hunt with my friends over at Three Curl Outfitters. But you know what I was wearing for both occasions? The, the Pathfinder Pant. It is the most comfortable, most rugged pant that I've ever worn. Uh, lots of room in the crotch area. So, you know, that's the thing. When you're doing a lot of hiking, wedgies suck. And we're always, well, to be honest... Who wants to spend all their time adjusting their junk or picking their boxers out of their crack? Yeah, not me. So uh, I love the Pathfinder. Uh, absolutely kick-ass pant. And you can save 20% when you order a Pathfinder by using that promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out at NUMA.com. Actually, 20% off of all their outdoor apparel, which they guarantee for life. Who does that? Insane, right? But uh, NUMA does it. So check it out. NUMAoutdoors.com. Coming up next, Proposition 1, the right to farm and ranch in Texas and why that's important for hunting and conservation right here on SCI's One Star Outdoor. It's Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. 
Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW? Then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. Bad big and lost the hand We pressed on the best we can We moved on yelling Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thanks for being here today. We're about to get into Proposition 1, why that's relevant to hunting and conservation. Uh, but before we do that, this segment of the presentation brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. Uh, if you are passionate about hunting and protecting the future of our sport, our pastime, our way of life, there's no better group to get plugged in with than SCI. Uh, they put their money where their mouth is. They do it both domestically and internationally. For more information, check us out at biggame.org. Oh, 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 forgot to tell you this. Uh, we're doing a, uh, a two-man guided duck hunt. Two days, two nights, lodging food at the swanky Pipkin Ranch down in uh, on the Texas coast. Um, and all you need to do is either join SCI, or you can renew your membership and use that promo code CABLE23. That's just CABLE and then the numbers 23, and you're automatically entered into the uh, hunt. And I'll be down there, so we'll be hunting together. I might even take JoJo. Who knows? Uh, But yeah, awesome prize package, and like an SCI membership for the year is only 65 bucks, And you save 20% when you use the promo code. It's a hell of a deal. You should be doing it right now. Googling SCI. Join SCI. Do it. Do it. Do it. Uh, Join us. We'd love to have you. And I'd love to go hunting with you. All right. Let's bring on our next guest here. Joining us from the Texas Farm Bureau, it is Gary Joyner and Russell Boning. Good to be here. Appreciate the opportunity, Cable. Thank you, Cable. Yeah, my pleasure. So, uh, Gary, I know you're in Waco. Uh, Russell, where are you joining us from today? Well, today I'm actually in in Washington, D.C. at an American Farm Bureau uh, board meeting. Uh, I, uh, live and live and ranch and and farm right South of San Antonio. Uh, so that's home for me. Uh Gary, do you ranch as well? I live in China spring, a couple of horses on some small acreage, but do not make my living in agriculture. I just support the industry as a staff member of the Texas farm bureau. Okay. And so what is the Texas farm bureau? We are an organization of, uh, of farmers and ranchers. We're the largest general farm organization in the state of Texas. Uh, representing all commodities, uh, we uh, uh, we advocate for agriculture. We we uh, work in Austin uh, on things that are important to uh, to agriculture and ag producers, and and, and in DC as well. Uh, so whether it's regular regulatory or uh, things like the farm bill, uh, things along those issues are things that we're very involved in. Okay, a couple of years ago, 
Texas made a uh, wonderful decision in passing the constitutional right to hunt and fish amendment. And we have something similar coming up um, concerning farming and ranching. And, and I believe the general term for it is Proposition 1. So I'm going to let you guys tell us a little bit about what Prop 1 is and why it is necessary. Well, thank you, Cable. And uh, you're right. Uh, uh, the the, the uh, constitutional amendment that was passed a couple of years ago was important to Texas. And we as a farm organization feel like this one is very important to Texas. Prop 1 uh, puts in the Constitution uh, what we call the right to farm and ranch under generally accepted farming and ranching practices. Um, we still operate under certain regulatory issues, uh, uh, whether it's federal or whether it's state. Uh, those things don't change. Uh, but it's it's kind of necessary as, as Texas changes dramatically uh, population-wise and uh, demographically, and, and you know you know this as well as anyone, uh, it, it, people need to understand how important it is that uh, we're able to do those things that are important to agriculture, uh, that are important to consumers uh, to continue to uh, provide food and fiber, uh, not only for Texas, but for, for the country and for the world. And um, it, it's just things that uh, we've seen uh, you, you know, we have certain, there's certain things that are in statute cable that are important and they do protect uh, the right to farm and ranch under generally accepted practices. But we all know that statutes can be changed whenever the legislature meets. Uh, so I think it's important that we see a constitutional amendment here. Gary may want to add to that, but uh, I'll stop there for right now. Uh -huh. Cable, you're right. In 2015, that's when the Texas voters with an 81% vote said yes to the right to hunt, fish, and harvest. Uh, this November, uh, we hope to have a similar outlook on this proposition, and it does have some wildlife connections to it, even in the language that you'll see on the ballot. When you look at that Proposition 1, it's one of 14 that we will see on that statewide ballot. It, it is described, and we will read, the Constitutional Amendment protecting the right to engage in farming, ranching, timber production, horticulture, and wildlife management. So there's a strong wildlife nexus to this proposition to allow those landowners or even property that they lease to engage in those generally accepted practices and those areas of work uh, that the state of Texas is saying it's important to protect that. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I believe that it is important. And here's the thing, like, uh, I don't know where potential blowback is coming from, because whether you're, you know, uh, a red meat eating cowboy or you're some mentally deranged vegan, it, guess what? The vegan still has to eat vegetables, right? Like, so that's farming, that's agriculture. So where, where is, if there is a significant blowback, take us down that road, or maybe it's just um, being more proactive. But I would like to get y'all's take on, you know, why now and what, where are we feeling the pressure from? Uh, as far as the opposition is concerned. Cable, are you referring to opposition to farming practices now or possibly yes, the opposition? Yes, just generally, okay. like, why are we, why, why, why all of a sudden is it necessary? Or maybe it's animal rights, rights activists that are against ranching. I, I think, quite frankly, the, it, that's, that's part of it. We're, we're seeing some of, and I talked about how Texas is changing, and yeah. I mean, we're seeing some, some uh, jurisdictions, mostly city jurisdictions, 
that that are passing some regulations uh, in, under their jurisdiction that uh, just quite frankly uh, inhibit the, the the opportunity to do it. In other words, how, how tall can your grass be? Uh, you can't have your grass over, you know, eight to 10 inches, but it's grass that's being grown for hay. Well, you don't, you don't necessarily cut it at that stage. You, you might need it to be a couple of feet tall. Right. And so we're seeing those types of things that, that, and, and, and different, different cities right next to each other, having passing laws that, that, uh, well, you got to have a buffer zone, but, and this between your property and the, and, and the, and the right of way, well, this city requires a, 50 foot buffer zone, but right next to it, you need to have 150 feet. Well, they're supposed to be passing these these regulations if there is a threat to public health or safety. And this just kind of puts the onus on them to really prove that there is a threat to 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 public health or safety uh-huh. and, and not just randomly say, OK, we don't want your grass any bigger than eight inches. You know, so Gary, you have something to add? Yeah, I think, Cable, if you look at the history, uh, there are two other states that have passed an amendment similar to this, protecting the right to farm and ranch in their state. That's Missouri and North Dakota. Uh, so we've learned from those experiences, looked at that experience, and, and I think the Texas proposition is even better worded, uh, more soundly constructed, so the voters uh, know exactly what they're saying yes to, and I think that will help. Uh, those that are opposed to Proposition 1 uh, have not uh, been strong in their uh, voices right now. We're not hearing much. Uh, we good. heard we heard from some in the legislative process. The authorizing legislation for this proposition, HGR 126, had hearings, had public hearings, and those testified. And we heard from those that had concerns at that point. Um, and we kind of we feel we've addressed those in some of the language in the actual proposition and in the authorizing language uh, uh-huh. to account for that. Uh, so we think there's going to be some strong support once the public kind of realizes what it's about, uh, why it's needed, why now uh, Texas, uh, the country is now becoming intersected with what was the city or suburbs in many cases. And where yeah. those wildlife are, you and I know, are on the private lands of Texas. Texas is 95% privately owned, and that's where wildlife management occurs and where the habitat is is maintained. Uh, and we're just trying to protect the generally accepted practices on those properties for farming, for ranching, and for wildlife management so folks can continue to do what they do. Does not take away any of the state or or uh, local authorities to regulate those processes and those resources that are out there. Uh, it just puts a very bright line that it must be clear and convincing, and it must be a threat, an imminent threat to health and safety before any regulations can be put in place. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's take a break. We'll come back and, and give some examples of city ordinances that have been passed uh, that directly negatively affect farming and ranching and why this is necessary. And then also we'll we'll tie it back to hunting and conservation because they certainly are connected. All that coming at you next, that segment brought to you by the new Vortex Bantam Youth Binocular. It's a 6.5 by 32, perfect gift for the little hunter in your life. Frankie and Stella, the Twinkies, absolutely love it. Just gave them one the other day and they were so pumped because before that they had the little kitty. One of them had a pink bino, another one had a purple one. And they're like, Dad, this thing is so awesome. It fits our face because it's made for kiddos. 
And uh, and it's a legit pair of glasses retailing for under 70 bucks. You can find the Bantam anywhere uh, that sells quality optics. And if you shop at eurooptic.com, use that promo code LONESTAR10, you'll save 10% off your entire Vortex Optics order at eurooptic.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Let me tell you about the Armorsight 640 Contractor. It is the industry-leading thermal technology in a very user-friendly rifle scope. A 640 Armor Core 12 Micro made in the USA Thermal Core. It's got a four-hour onboard recording, four-hour runtime on a full charge, USB and Wi-Fi streaming, uh, eight user-selectable reticles and six color palettes, and the most user-friendly interface out there because you're operating these things in the dark. So uh, that's very important. You can find the contractor, the 640, or its little brother, the 320, right there at Armorsight.com. I hear the crackle of a campfire. You're howling at the moon. We all know that you gotta go, but does it have to be so soon? Bet somebody's yelling last call. I hope you get some rest. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Uh, this segment of the show brought to you by Armorsight and the 640 Contractor. I uh, took mine out thermal hog hunting this past weekend. Dude, the image quality on this bad boy, unparalleled. It is sick. Uh, of course, internal recording. You can Bluetooth it right to your phone, so you don't even have to like upload it to a computer anymore. Pretty freaking sweet. And we stacked up some pigs, too. I think we got seven uh, in like three hours of hunting. So, uh, yeah, check it out. It's the Armorsight Contractor, and you can find it at armorsight.com. All right, uh, let's continue with the Proposition 1 conversation with Gary Joyner and Russell Boyning of the Texas Farm Bureau. And Gary, I, I sifted through the pamphlet you sent me that cited some examples of, of gross overreach when it comes to particular city ordinances. Uh, let's take a look at a few of them. This one's absolutely absurd. And we're, you're talking about local principalities, governments. Um, you know, I think that's the, the sticking point here is we're trying to prevent them from overreach. So uh, here's an example. A city has banned the public mating of livestock. To comply with the ordinance, farmers and ranchers must build a structure that will prevent any public viewing of that activity. <laughs> that's ridiculous <laughs> we, we 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 birds kind of and the bees you know table. if your kid doesn't yeah you know, i just just uh, absurd you know um we thought we thought we thought it's a good teaching moment to be quite honest with you <laughs> yeah right um okay another one uh city only allows barbed wire fencing in areas zoned light industrial all other areas require submitting a request for a zoning variance uh that's absurd on every front it's your property put up whatever kind of fence you want um, let's see, 
A farmer was harvesting corn, and the local police told him that it was illegal due to the dust. Okay, well, how are you supposed to operate heavy machinery uh, in in a situation where it hasn't rained in who knows how long and then not produce any dust? Uh, absurd. And then you alluded to this one earlier, Russell, uh, with the grass. The city ordinance says no grass allowed over 12 inches without any exceptions for agricultural use. So the city found a farmer in violation of his 25-acre hay field and his cattle pasture. Uh, again, absurd. And here's the thing. Because some people uh, that like living in the concrete jungle don't want to see that. But going back to what you're talking about, is it a threat to public health? No, I would uh, prefer to have the uh, cattle fat and happy. Yeah. And all of these are ludicrous. So that's what we're trying to do here is yes, protect uh, you know, individuals uh, and, and the private property rights for you to be able to make a living on your property. Right. Um, well, you know, okay, but I'll just say this, a, a farmer and rancher from the Uvalde area <clears throat> that I saw uh, a while back, he, he came up to me and he said, uh, I've known him for years, known his family. And he said, Russell, we're really not asking for anything new. You know, we're just wanting that to keep doing what we're doing in a legal, responsible way. And, I, you know, you can't sum it up any better than that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and what happens, Cable, in the case of those ordinances? Uh, so there is a, a dispute, and the farmer, rancher, the landowner says that's not right. I want to challenge that. Well, you know what it's like to challenge city hall. You got to hire mm-hmm. attorneys. You got to fight the legal battle. Uh, the resources uh, may not be there for a continued legal fight. So a lot of times they just say, "I can't, I can't fight it. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources to do it to fight city hall." So this is a chance for Texas to say, "Hey." So then, what uh, happens to that property? Which here's the thing. Well, it gets sold and it gets developed. And I mean, I live in McKinney and when I moved here 12, 13 years ago, there was, I mean, there were dove fields everywhere. It's all gone. It's all been developed. Uh, you can't stop progress whether you want to or not. Uh, but it sure like to delay it a little bit. I mean, I don't like seeing all the concrete. People would be like, well, then move out further away. Maybe I will. But uh, it certainly changed and uh, I don't know if it's for the better. Maybe the property value has gone up a little, but uh, for me, I like seeing all of the open spaces. And but, like you said, Gary, the uh, the city, aka Dallas, is you know it's slowly swallowing up the suburbs. Is all becoming connected. Um, so it's a, uh, I guess it is what it is on that front. But let's talk about and, and why I, I think it's important to bring this into the fold on an outdoor related show. Um, that focuses on hunting and fishing more so than obviously farming and ranching. Every lease that I've ever been on had cattle on it. And, and the reason why wildlife thrives there is because they have cattle on it because it isn't developed. It's used for ranching, meaning, okay, it's, you know, generally speaking, left unmanipulated. You might have some pastures that have been cleared or whatever, but you still have a bunch of thick forest and, uh, you know, maybe you're out west or south and it's mesquite flats or whatever it is, but it's great habitat for deer and turkey and hogs and quail and, you know, everything else under the sun. And and I think that's really where it all intersects because farming and ranching, hunting, conservation, they are all intertwined. That's a good point, Cable. And I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, farmers and ranchers are and, and, and wildlife enthusiasts, whether you're a hunter or whatever, you know, whatever what part of it you, I mean, we, we have a good relationship. I mean, and, and we should, I mean, we have a lot of the same interests. 
And uh, um, so I, I think you make a very good point there. Mm-hmm. You know, Cable, that, that constitutional amendment on the right to hunt and fish was really about preserving the treasured outdoor lifestyle that we have in Texas. We think Proposition 1 is about preserving and protecting the historical, the cultural significance of agriculture in our state. Uh, It is a significant part of who we are as Texas. We have the most family farms and ranches of any state in the country. One out of seven Texans makes their living in the food and fiber system. So Mm. agriculture is Texas, but agriculture is getting pushed by a growing Texas. Uh, We've lost over 2 million acres of agricultural land in the last 25 years to development, just like you described there in McKinney and other Mm -hmm. areas of high growth, that land's being lost. And now we're less than one and a half percent of our society grows food and fiber for the rest of us. When do we kind of stop and say, hey, this is important. This is worth protecting. This is something we as a state value. So Proposition 1 is, is I think, at the right time in front of the Texas voters because we're changing as a state because of growth and demands of uh, land and areas uh, that were traditionally farm and ranch, that were traditionally hunting leases for people to enjoy the outdoors. Uh, Let's make sure we protect those with good, solid uh, constitutional amendment uh, to say this is where we think these lines are drawn. 100%. Yeah. Um, And, and you know, when you look at, you know, with a really, at the broad picture, and I've talked to our Texas Parks and Wildlife um, Dove program leader many times, and he said, you know what, we're actually seeing, for a long time we saw this increase in morning dove and white wing populations, and especially um, those two species because they do adapt so well in, in urban environments, but uh, they still have to have the agricultural fields. And he said, we're, we're finally reversing the trend and the numbers are starting to go down. And I'm like, well, why is that? Is it, um, you know, uh, weather conditions, you know, a prolonged weather cycle? And he goes, well, part of it is, uh, in those areas where these morning and, and white wing dove thrive is that all that stuff is getting developed. So we're losing the habitat, you know, uh, shoot, there's, I don't know, a dozen cornfields within three miles of my house uh, a decade ago. There's maybe like two now. And so you're losing the habitat. And this is just talking about dove, but uh, you, you think about all the um, white-tailed deer, that habitat, it's going to go away too. Um, and the population is just going to continue to grow up. And that's why I think it is so important to go ahead and pass this. So is this actually coming up, uh, on the November, uh, ballot? Yes, yes, sir. On November 7th. Yes, sir. Uh Prop one. So, okay. So we need everybody to vote in favor of prop one. It's uh, it's common sense, right? If you like the outdoors, vote for it. Like (laughs) there's really no... And I'm assuming that it's receiving bipartisan support in uh, Texas. In, in, when, when we passed the, the and, you know, Gary mentioned the enabling legislation, we, we passed it. It was unanimous in both the House and the Senate in Texas, which, you know, you know, and somebody said, well, that just proves that, that it's that it's, you know, gonna, it's, it should go well. Well, yeah. we're, we're, we're not really taking any chances when it comes. We appreciate opportunities like this cable to. To get the message out, but people need to go vote for it. You know, it's uh, we always say it's one thing to be in favor of something, but you need to let it be known. Right. So, uh, right. Hey, cable being an off-year election, non-presidential election cycle, turnout is expected to be lower than normal. So, mm-hmm. just a few votes can really swing this. 
we think rural Texas and those support that agriculture, those that support wildlife uh, will show up and be a big part of the success of the proposition because the overall population may not be as inclined to vote as they would in another time. Early yeah. voting is a big window. Early voting starts on October 23rd. A lot of Texans prefer that early voting window before the, the day of the election. So uh, we're encouraging folks to get out, make sure you vote. There's 14 propositions. This is the first one you'll see on the ballot, which is a great position to be. Mm -hmm. And we think it's the easiest to understand and clearest language and, and a yes vote will be significant. I think this is the most significant opportunity for Texas agriculture in generations to uh, make a statement and to have uh, a successful victory at this scale. Uh, this is this is very historical if this comes through. Yeah. Well, obviously, uh, education is key, letting people know that it's on the ballot and why it's important. So appreciate you guys coming on and sharing a little insight with us. And uh, yeah, everyone go vote. I'll be in a deer blind November 7th. So I will. And I don't prefer that. I actually rather go in and physically cast my vote. I enjoy the pageantry and the patriotism associated with the physical act. Uh, but this year I will be uh, early voting. So uh, encourage folks to let their voices be heard and let's get this thing passed. Thank you so much, Cable. Appreciate, yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, Thank you guys you, have a good one. Oh, and uh, if you want more information on Prop 1 or the Texas Farm Bureau, it's uh, texasfarmbureau.org. Thanks again, guys. Thank you, Cable. Appreciate you. We appreciate you. So there they go. Gary Joyner, Russell Boyning of the Texas Farm Bureau. Great stuff there. Uh, that segment of the show was brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee and Trigger Time Kennels in Bonham, Texas. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Gary and Russell, as well as our other guest, Rich Crum. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Say.